Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to Counseling On Demand. Here's your own private therapist. Anywhere, anytime. Fred Riley. What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to yet another podcast. This is Counseling On Demand. Today, we have another sensitive uh, topic, uh, as been the case, uh, right, uh, this type of work that I do. Obviously, we, we get into some very sensitive topics, some more than others. And so uh, just a heads up as we listen today, uh, we're going to be talking about some ideas um, and some response to some things that, uh, you know, that have become more prevalent, unfortunately. Since I started podcasting, uh, unfortunately, I've uh, done podcasts uh, after um, some school shootings, public uh, shootings, things like that and the impact and uh i i can't remember how many stories i've i've talked about but uh more than any other topic that i've covered would be violence in in public areas and schools and it's just going to get worse and one of the things that i talk about with that is that our response time is very limited as time passes it kind of the the impact kind of fades away and the concern is what happens to you know, the long-term effects of those that are forgotten within a year or so, um, as we have a tendency, right, to normalize. So recently, uh, there's been a couple stories, unfortunately, about uh, a couple kids, uh, one year post um, this Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High um, uh, massacre is what they're calling it. And uh, there's some stories about a couple individuals who uh, have continued to have some very um, difficult problems related to the, the trauma, right? Uh, to the point that uh, the support uh, for them, unfortunately, uh, maybe we missed the boat somewhere. So it's something to talk about. So what we're going to talk about today is, you know, the reality that, hey, we need to respond different. We need to respond better. Obviously, we can only respond as well as we know at the time. And I talk to my clients about this all the time. We are very limited to our to our awareness. If you think about 9-11 and so forth, uh, those systems, those helpful things that need to be there, unfortunately, they're not going to be recognized until after the fact. And then they have to be refined again and again and again. And so we're going to talk about what we can do to further implement and to help increase the likelihood of good support. And again, it's limited, right? We can only do so much. There's so many factors involved, family life, medications, access to resources. There's really no one place where you can say, hey, this is why these individuals are in the news or what have you. There's a lot of variables, like I said, a lot of places to look at. And our job is to take these moments and say, okay, what, if anything, can we button up a little bit? What, if anything, can we do a little bit differently? And so I'm going to share some of those ideas with you in terms of possible programs and programs ideas that can help us feel better about being there and help kids feel better about having access to, to resources. And a lot of what we'll talk about is getting those resources to these kids from a child or adolescent perspective 
versus from our adult perspective. As an adult, we see these these things very differently. And I think that that may kind of interfere with some of the ideas that we have. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk about some of the ideas I have that may help support and and lend a little bit more service awareness to those that uh, have respond or uh, victims of post-traumatic stress, whether it's students themselves, families, and even those across the country. So we'll be back in just a minute to discuss those ideas. All right, welcome back to Counseling on Demand. So today we just started talking just briefly about uh, kind of the resurgence of of uh, post-traumatic stress, and really, what happens is after an event, uh, especially a traumatic event, there's kind of a it's kind of like an earthquake or other things. There's this initial impact, and uh, we have a tendency to normalize, and that's that's good. We need to normalize. That's what allows us to rebuild buildings. That's what allows us to put together new ideas and refine and grow. Uh, unfortunately, in that ripple effect. Uh, it doesn't stop, and over time, sometimes a year, sometimes two, three years later, uh, that ripple effect starts to show up, and and of course, some of those things have happened in the news as well. I was uh, I was uh, just thinking about a study. There's a guy uh, in Vietnam, and uh, obviously, there's some impact. He was uh, hit by a, a, like a shrapnel bomb type situation. I don't know exactly what the mechanism was, but. Uh, some 30 years later, he had shrapnel that was still coming out of the muscle tissue in his calf. That's a good example of how impact hits us all initially, but over time, those impact waves still bubble up from time to time. And that's where we're at with some of these recent stories from uh, high school shootings and so forth. So follow-up programs. We need to take a look at follow-up programs. And I'm not saying those aren't happening, right? I think uh, all of us we're not quite sure what to do. Immediately after these shootings, we start talking about security, bulletproof uh, entrances, so on and so forth. But we do need to take a look at programs, and hopefully those are being developed now. But what kind of programs? What do we need to keep in mind? One of the things we need to keep in mind is school systems, they don't have a lot of resources outside, uh, limited resources, especially at the large group setting. And so one of the things that I think we could look at doing a little bit better is establishing programs that attend to the kids, teachers, families, and the masses. There's usually some type of debriefing within a day or two after these incidents, but most kids don't know their language. They don't know how they've been impacted and uh, they're not really in a place to logically process and so forth. And so, number one, programs that are available to the masses be uh, above and beyond that initial stage or that initial response to to uh, the damage. And everybody's uh, damage, you know, their response to trauma, they're going to respond in different ways. We can't encompass all of it, but maybe broadening programs just a little bit. Now, the other thing that I think would be really important is uh, to normalize and take advantage of what's called groupthink behavior. Adolescents really want to belong. They want to be normalized. They want to know that their thoughts and behaviors are within uh, a certain socially acceptable domain. One of the things that we can do to better reach these individuals is to normalize as a group, right, to make it very typical to talk about these issues and concerns. Resources that when you're at lunch or whatever, 
and Bobby walks off, we know that Bobby and anybody else can walk off and go and talk to somebody. So normalizing group behavior where, you know what, forecast is for trauma-based skies. And guess what? We can pull groups together at any given time to to help people process uh, for as long as needed, not just immediately in response or reaction to that. So programs, and, and those of you that are listening, I'd be happy to be involved in programs. These are just some ideas that I've come up with in terms, and there's some more ideas, but, you know, I'd be happy to be involved in development of programs to assist the resources that are already there. But one of those um, resources that we really need to uh, have available is this idea of normalizing the psychological impact of trauma. Now, the other thing that I think would be really helpful is increasing the parent-school feedback loop is what I call it. The idea is there's a great gap, right? Those of you that are teachers, students, parents, there's a there can be a pretty big gap between what's going on at the school and with parents. And unfortunately, a big reason for that gap is the students, right? When students come home, you ask how their school day was, they usually say, I don't know, or it was fine. I think we need to figure out ways to help implement feedback for students, right, and parents and uh, those that work at school as to kind of the mood, the setting, what's going on at the school, that type of thing. Now, one thing we want to keep in mind is these conversations tend to go towards identifying kids that uh, we worry about, right? And we have to be really careful there. Uh, who are we to decide that uh, there's a particular kid we need to worry about? Imagine being the parents that uh, they have a different side of the story, but the school's coming to them saying, hey, you're, you have a child that's not handling things very well. We need to address that issue. We need to figure out what to do to help this be a good global catch where we're not singling out kids, but it's safe for them to seek resources. It's safe to have those discussions between parents and school without judgment, without uh, rating the child and so forth in terms of their response. Now, what do we do uh, to help increase activity and to help increase um you know, normalize things and and uh, get the ball rolling and talking. Two ideas. One of those is I think it would be really important for schools to, and the library system at schools, I think it would be really important for the schools in the library system or within the counseling or anywhere to have resources, almost just something as simple as a three-ring binder, but resources where where a student can go in and they can just flip through and have access to community resources, uh, school-based resources for different types of impact, whether it's difficulty sleeping, whether it's looking for a therapist, whether it's looking for um, somebody they can talk to about how to talk to their parents, but a place where the kids know that they can go and have those resources available. The number one reason children do not go into counseling is because they don't know about it. They don't know about it. The number two reason is they don't believe their parents will support it. So the parents, the school, having access to these resources, letting the kids know that because that book is there, it's a resource that's used, full of resources, that normalizes it and makes it more comfortable. It makes it okay to go seek those resources, even in the privacy of that moment of going to the library or what have you. And finally, we need to do a better job of making it very well known. There's uh, new text, um, suicide text lines. There's new um, numbers, right? There's there's resources like crazy in terms of emergent care. And uh, one of the things that we can do better 
in in the school system. And again, this is year one, year two, year three after this stuff happens. Okay, we have posters of all kinds of things throughout the school, team spirit, so on and so forth. I think it's very productive. I think it's very okay to have um, suicide text lines and so forth, crisis lines available. Studies are showing there's this gal out in New York that started a new program, and they're showing that that, uh, teens are far more willing to text to a crisis line and and talk in private about some of their thoughts and feelings regarding crisis and de-escalation. Let's not hide these resources. Let's not worry that they're going to cause problems if we promote them. The idea is if a child is already struggling, a teen is already struggling, okay, we're not going to make a child struggle beyond what they're already struggling by having these resources available. They're already struggling. We have a tendency to normalize. We have a tendency to feel like, you know, the the problem has kind of calmed. But the individuals in the last couple of weeks are examples where the the storm doesn't calm. It becomes maybe secret. But having access to those resources, bettering our programs uh, in response, particularly normalizing group behavior in response, but also normalizing a more longitudinal look at aftercare versus just reacting. Those are some key components that we need to keep in mind and establish. And like I said, um, you know, I I need to figure out what I can do as well. And those of you that are listening, if if we need to join forces and figure out how to implement programs, I'd be more than happy to. We need to be there for these kids. There's so many different reasons that feed into why we have these stories. But the idea is let's take a look at, put our heads together and figure out what we can do to better support and have more resources for these students. Now, keep in mind, please, that uh, these people, their lives matter, our lives matter, right? And keep in mind that because those lives matter, it's okay for us to take the time to stop and think and address some of these issues. Finally, always remember, you get to choose who's in your life. Choose those people in your life that you can love, that can support you, that can be there for you, even, for example, in these moments of tragedy. I'm Fred Riley. Thank you so much for listening to Counseling on Demand. You can find me online at gettingbacktheNumber2life.com.